Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diary. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV, and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. And Adam. And today, we have a very special guest. She hosts the awesome podcast, Your Brain on Facts. Please welcome <laughs> Moxie LaBouche. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Real excited to be here. Good. Yay. We're excited to have you. Hooray. Yes, we are. This will be great. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank Moxie for coming up with today's topic, screwball comedies, parodies, specifically of Zucker, Abrahams, and Zucker variety. Because we, we could use some of those these days, and they just, they were everywhere, and then they went away. I know. That's right. That's so strange, because when watching some of these, like, it's like, oh, 80s, 80s, oh, early 90s, 80s again. It's like, <laughs> it's like, what happened to them, you know? So what makes a screwball comedy? Well, to get technical, screwball comedies began as a subgenre of romantic comedy in the 1930s. They were known as satire of the traditional love story and included classics like It Happened One Night and Bringing Up Baby. The term has become a little more broad over time, and movies that we consider to be screwball comedies today might not focus specifically on a love story, but have elements that still turn the classic romance on its head. It fits in well with a couple of the movies that we'll talk about Yeah, there's about certainly today. romance in yeah. every single one of these movies. Mm -hmm. And I would not but, say yeah, that's very traditional. <laughs> no, they don't, they don't play it straight, the, the romance in the modern screwball comedies. Uh, bonus fact for you about the original genre of screwball comedies. One of the better known ones is It Happened One Night, which helped to shape Bugs Bunny, of all things. Uh, Bugs's mannerisms are based in part on one scene where Clark Gable's fast-talking character is leaning on a fence, snacking on some carrots. That's really shaped uh, what the Bugs Bunny character would be like. And a tangential bonus fact to that, Mel Blanc, who did the voice of Bugs Bunny and many other classic cartoon characters, had to eat carrots to get the, the sound. They didn't have, like, a separate Foley guy for it. And he hated carrots. Oh, no. So he had to, like, just bite into it and get the, the few requisite chomps as quickly as he could and then spit it out into the trash can. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> I mean, way to stick it stick Dedication it to his craft. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so the movies we will talk about today are a great mix of screwball, parody, and satire. We picked a few from the 80s and the 90s, a time when parody film was at its peak. Two of them star Leslie Nielsen, a man that became synonymous with farce. But before we begin, let's talk a little bit about the history of film parody and where these movies might have pulled their influence. Yeah! Right. Woo! History time! It's <laughs> my favorite Go time. Way back. Yeah. Technically, all time is history. The history of film parody. Film parody, or spoof, is a genre of comedy that comically imitates another genre of film or specific films. The first known film that we now refer to as a spoof was the 1905 12-minute short called The Little Train Robbery. It parodied the 1903 The Great Train Robbery, a Thomas Edison production and a groundbreaking early film. The music for The Little Train Robbery was more jovial to give it an obvious cue that it was a spoof, and it was done by Edwin Porter at Edison Studios and contained an all-child cast. The short was meant to be a funny little take on outlaws robbing, robbing a locomotive. The train is pretty cute, and we'll show you guys on the blog. Yeah. If you go there, you can watch You can watch both the original and the new one. Well, the new one, I'm sorry. The one that was two years <laughs> later. <laughs> the one They're both relatively done old. Done by the same studios, 1905 really. 1905 <laughs> yes. pretty new. By the same guy. He was the same director. He said, you know what? I'm going to parody my own film. Yeah. That's with kids. Good. Yeah. That is super meta, like right from Jump Street. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's really funny, provided you don't think about how there were no child labor laws for child actors at the time. And it wouldn't be until uh, Coogan's Law that a child even had some protection against their own parents for the money they were making. Oh. Yeah. Wow. My gosh. <laughs> Yikes. Sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to bring the room down. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> For the 
next few decades, parody film was a common part of the comedy genre with entries like The Mystery of the Leaping Fish in 1916, which was a Sherlock Holmes parody that made fun of his drug addiction, specifically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. In Charlie Chaplin's first talkie, The Great Dictator, it was a funny yet powerful critique of the Nazi regime. This film showed that parody films could cross the threshold into talking pictures, and it made audiences and critics take notice of how the genre could be used for social commentary. At least in that way, it's still kind of a thing, right? We don't really have these super screwball comedies that much anymore, but at least comedy used as like a tool to talk about some serious topics is definitely still a thing. That amazing speech, uh, which is, I think, the, the key moment of The Great Dictator, Chaplin got that in one take. Wow. Good work. The Three Stooges, they all were also known for slapstick, mostly, but they also used their shorts for parody as well. They actually spoofed Hitler before Charlie Chaplin. It was the same year, I think, but a few months earlier. Uh-huh. But they still get the medal as being the first one. <laughs> Both Chaplin and the Stooges spoofs show the social impact that these movies can have. And the Stooges have had influence in many comedic films since, including The Naked Gun, which we will talk about later today. Their shorts also feature classic bits, puns, and visual gags, similar to ones in Airplane, The Naked Gun, and Hot Shots. All three of them. Wow. Yeah, they're basically the OGs of slapstick. And a bonus fact about the Stooges. I have many facts about the Stooges, but I'll pick just this one. Uh, Curly, Curly Howard, was an avid animal lover and would regularly rescue stray dogs on filming days like in the middle of his work day and he would just bring the dog onto the set with him this dog that he had just met five minutes ago and everybody and everybody just kind of had to work around (laughs) the stray dog he just brought in that's so sweet that sounds great no wonder they loved him yeah it sounds sweet it sounds sweet from a distance it probably (laughs) wasn't as great for like the pas and stuff Dealing with a random dog. I guess that's true. (laughs) Hoping it wouldn't bark during takes and stuff. So the Marx Brothers were known for humor that was intelligent and character-driven, but they were also no strangers to visual gags. In 1946, they spoofed wartime dramas with A Night in Casablanca, and of course their masterpiece Duck Soup was also an influential entry to the satire and parody genres. I could do your whole show just on the Marx Brothers. I thought we had to mention them. All day. Because I knew that you really enjoy them. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you like comedy movies, you should definitely go back and watch the the Marx Brothers. And I'm used to being the only person in the room who's really into them and just staying like, that's okay, I'll finish it later. (laughs) (laughs) But they're so classic and Groucho's character is amazing. They're all really good at what they do roasting people has never gone out of style so if you like a good roast on social media well then get your ass over to some marx brothers movies because that's groucho all the way down oh yeah (laughs) oh man one of the longest running and most successful series of parody films is the carry on series from 1950 to the 1970s the set of 31 british films were low budget and often used comedy troops and slapstick humor they hold an important place in the history of parody because at their peak in the 1960s, they proved that the general public had an appetite for parody filmmaking. These films made fun of everything from the James Bond series to the Elizabeth Taylor epic film Cleopatra. They had a low budget and never starred big names in acting, though there was a general troupe of actors that resurfaced in the movies. This is a common practice with comedy films in general. Think about Monty Python and National Lampoon, and the fact that uh, many spoof movies have Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, I'm impressed you guys included Carry On, because that is so quintessentially British. Most, <laughs> most Americans have never even heard of the Carry On films. Yeah. Yeah. So good job. In the 1970s, audiences took more notice of parody with the arrival of filmmaker Mel Brooks. Movies like Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles showed showed that audiences would flock to see expertly acted films with clever screenplays, no matter how ridiculous the subject matter. These movies were silly, sure, but they were also respectable and sometimes lampooned taboo topics like racism and sexism. 
but in 1980, a disaster parody took flight and soared into the hearts of moviegoers everywhere. It launched the comedic career of Leslie Nielsen and is considered to be one of the most quotable movies of all time. Airplane performed an incredible feat. It transcended a subgenre of comedy and is considered, by all counts, a classic film. So, what are your guys' thoughts on Airplane? <laughs> it's one of the. It is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's actually the first time I'd seen this movie, uh, watching it for this episode. Um, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the that's the best way I can describe it is just like uh, how <laughs> how did they get away with all this ridiculousness? Well, it was a it was a different time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Both both a darker and a more innocent time. Yeah, and you as you watch it, you're like that joke wouldn't work now. That joke wouldn't wouldn't yes. fly now. That's true. Yeah, there's a couple of them you you couldn't necessarily get away with, but it would depend on who did it because there's there's always that discussion of could you make uh, blazing saddles today mm-hmm. and i think that's ah. not the right question it's why would you make blazing saddles today mm-hmm. there should be uh, there should be a blazing yeah. saddles of 2020 yeah because that was yeah. blaze that was that was the blazing saddles of 1974 the same here young frankenstein came out very good year for mel brooks mm-hmm. <laughs> um but we don't need a, the blazing saddles of 1974 we need the blazing saddles of 2020 Right. Right. Yeah. Do you think they could get away with like a parody of the Avengers or something like the the current like big oh. thing? But, I mean, well, I mean that kind of that kind of stuff always happens. The uh, the yeah mm-hmm. scary movie, the epic the mm-hmm. epic movie, mm-hmm. for all of those yeah. absolute garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Airplane is so fun, and when you're in a room with people who've all seen it before, you could just say any line from the movie. Mm-hmm. And they all remember it, and everybody laughs again. I mean, you, you, and it's not uncommon to have somebody do the "and don't call me Shirley" yes. in the course of a normal conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of him, that one of my other favorite parts when he was trying to land the plane, he came in, you know, at the right time the first time. He's like, you know, just wanted to wish you good luck. We're all counting on you, and he does it two more times <laughs> after that, and one when it's like the most tense moment everything's shaking he just comes in the door hey i just wanted to say good luck we're all counting on you and then after they landed <laughs> he does it one more time it's like what are you it's it's ridiculous it but, is. but and it's so good i and I, I i agree and i love watching it with other people i watched it by myself and it's still good but i don't know there's just something about watching it with somebody else you just kind of like you know egg each other on on, on laughing yeah. at the parts i and... think contagious laughter helps a lot well that's what that's why laugh tracks exist to to convince you that things are funny because other people are laughing at it if i had all the money in the world i would buy the rights to the friends series and remove the <laughs> laugh track and reissue it so everybody can watch it can can feel For about it, it the way i felt about yeah. it wow <laughs> this just isn't Ooh, funny. that is a hot take yeah that's yeah. A, we were in drama in school and our sometimes our director would send us out into the audience and laugh so that we would convince oh. the other parts of the audience to laugh as well. Oh no, I've done that. I've done that in burlesque. I've done that for my my street performer friends, which is like somebody's got to get this audience started. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh wow. Okay, so for those of you who have not seen Airplane yet, it actually turned 40 this year, and what it is about is when the passengers and crew on board an airplane, they're incapacitated due to food poisoning. A former fighter pilot with a fear of flying and a drinking problem must land the plane with the help of a stewardess who is also happens to be his ex. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. Although Airplane is a parody of the disaster movie genre as a whole, it's specifically a parody of Zero Hour from 1957. The team, Zucker, Abrahams, and Zucker, had worked together on Kentucky Fried Movie in 1977, which had several sketches parodying disaster and kung fu movies. It was based on a live show called Kentucky Fried Theater. And these guys, we might end up kind of shortening their name to just Zaz, Zaz. Zucker, Abrahams, and Zucker. The story goes, while they were researching material for their show, they stumbled upon Zero Hour and found it to be unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> we watched the just the trailer of this movie just to get an idea, mm-hmm. and I'm like, 
this isn't a parody already. <laughs> it, I, it's done so straight-faced, just the way Airplane is done. And these comedies are all done with, like, so serious almost, but, like, the most ridiculous things are happening <laughs> and nobody reacts to it. Nobody's, like, <laughs> laughing at their own jokes, right? Which is the way you want to do it, but it makes Zero Hour feel the same. So you can't help but laugh at that movie now, too. You also can't help but get Rocket Man stuck in your head just from the phrase Zero Hour. At least if you're uh, me, because right. now I have Rocket Man stuck in my head. Yeah. As audiences would soon realize, the Zazz team had a special kind of style. Instead of actors constantly doing insane funny things, their films had actors performing mundane tasks while the world fell apart around them, just as Adam said. Although assured that it would be legally okay to parody the film, the Zaz team wanted to make sure. In order to completely avoid a lawsuit, they actually bought the remake rights for just $2,500. Wow. So it's technically a remake of Zero Hour. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> a lot of the basic plot dialogue is the same between the two movies. And we'll actually include a link that kind of shows some comparisons to that so you can, you can see just how similar they are. But one major difference, however, is that in Zero Hour, he was chasing his son and estranged wife, whereas in Airplane, he follows his girlfriend. Airplane is what really skyrocketed Leslie Nielsen into comedic roles and sent him into the Naked Gun series and more. By the time he acted in Airplane, Nielsen had about 25 years of acting under his belt. But this was indeed the first time he was cast in a comedy. Nielsen had been acting since the 1950s and even appeared in the type of movies that Airplane poked fun at. He appeared as captain in the Poseidon Adventure, a, no a notable disaster movie, and he was known to play dramatic parts. So in a sense, he was parodying himself. Yeah, and I think other there were other actors cast in this movie that were the same thing. They didn't like they didn't yeah. think specifically, oh well, Leslie Nielsen's going to be so funny in this movie. <laughs> they thought, well, we've got this actor from kind of from dramatic roles, mm -hmm. and this one, and this one, and they kind of put them throughout. But he was the one that stood out. He was the one yeah. that seemed to actually really have a flair for comedy. <laughs> See, for people of my generation, which I'm guessing is slightly ahead of the generation of the three people I'm speaking to, because I am as old as this, <laughs> I'm approximately the same age as this film. For the 80s kids, Leslie Nielsen is a comedic actor. So for mm -hmm. my parents to try to tell me, you know, he isn't a comedic actor, I'm like, well, you're obviously wrong, because the only things I've ever <laughs> seen him in are Airplane and Naked Gun. You know, and, and speaking of parodying oneself, you see that also in the Hot Shots movies. I forget in which one, but uh, Lloyd Bridges parodies his most famous uh, TV series during um, a scuba diving scene. So, so se self-referential, definitely, <laughs> definitely part of the screwball comedy playbook. <laughs> he continued to play both dramatic and comedic roles until the end of the 1980s when he made the full switch to comedy. He was known for his expert timing and dry delivery. In a tribute to Nielsen, David Zucker said, Off screen, he wasn't so much of a joke or storyteller, but a chronic prankster. The stories are legend about the fart machine, which he kept hidden and spraying on any hapless stranger who approached him. He used it on set on talk shows, anywhere he could find a victim. One time, at a press junket in Charlotte, I remember watching Leslie let loose with the device on a crowded elevator. The other occupants squirming up against the walls in an effort to distance themselves. And just like the scenes we put him in, he never broke character, never let on that he knew he was being funny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is there, do, you, do you picture just one of those little handheld green plastic... Yes. Noisemakers yeah. with five buttons on that it. Is exactly. Oh <laughs> my gosh, that is so funny. I I I always think it's funny when I mean it's very childish humor, but <laughs> but I always think it's funny when you lead up to one. An example: if you had just gotten like food with somebody, right? You're just like, mm -hmm. oh shoot, my my sandwich. They forgot to put something on it. They forgot. <laughs> 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 it's just like. It's just like 
like that would that would crack me up if you didn't see it coming like that and you're they just yeah. like timed it perfectly and i imagine he was a master at that <laughs> oh it's yeah perfect mr rogers uh would would fart to amuse his wife during <laughs> uh long or boring situations <laughs> that's amazing. even mr rogers wow. oh, come on you can't deny sometimes they're funny. It's there's an art to it. <laughs> yeah, yes. my dad has a clown act and him him and his clown partner always say butts and farts are funny. I mean, they just are. We just have yeah. <laughs> it's just part of it. <laughs> this movie had such a cultural significance that in 2010 it was inducted into the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Wow. The movie starred Leslie Nielsen as Dr. Rumack, Julie Haggerty as Elaine Dickinson, Robert Hayes as Ted Stryker, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as Roger Murdoch, <laughs> Lloyd Bridges as Steve McCroskey, Peter Graves as Captain Clarence Over, and Robert Stack as Captain Rex Kramer. I can tell you, the, the over Victor and uh, the, that whole bit, that comes yes, up in Roger. my house. What's our that comes up Victor? in my house on the regular. <laughs> the, oh. the word Vector cannot be used without <laughs> immediately triggering the what's your Vector, Victor line. Even if I'm just doing graphic design over here at my desk, mumbling quietly to myself, oh, I yep. need a Vector graphic. I'll hear from the, dex- the desk next to me. My husband and I are desks right next to each other. Oh. I'll hear right next to me. I'm like, I wasn't even talking out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a lot of Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know if, if any of you guys were big fans of that, but Robert oh, yeah. Stack did Unsolved oh, Mysteries. Yeah. The, the theme song still gives me physical goosebumps. Yeah. Did you know that the old phone number from Unsolved Mysteries, call that. It's, okay. it's still kind oh. of on. So after the show, call it. Make sure you've cranked your volume all the way up and stay on the line even after it tells you to hang up. Oh. oh, that's terrifying. I'm excited. I'm going to yes. do that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say one quick second before we move on. When you mentioned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yes. I, that moment kind of broke me when watching this movie. That was one of the best moments, I think, when that kid was in the cockpit. He's like, you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's like, no. I'm and he's Roger Murdoch. His, I'm Roger Murdoch. I'm an airplane pilot. And he's like, my dad says you... You're terrible at basketball or whatever. And he's like, listen, kid, I work my ass off. And just like, you try carrying. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. That, that, was, that was good. All right. So the next movie that we wanted to talk about a little bit was The Naked Gun. We won't talk about the entire series, but the first one, yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From 1988. So the movie, The Naked Gun, was based on a short-lived TV series in 1982, which was also done by the Zazz team. The series only lasted six episodes, and then it was canceled. Even though it was short-lived, it was nominated for two Emmy Awards. The year, the, show, the year of the show is referenced in the movie where Drebin takes a jar of mayonnaise out of the fridge, and it has an expiration date of June 1982. Oh, nice. Yeah, just like their show expired. Yeah. The Naked Gun movie was a way to continue the series. Leslie Nielsen came back as the detective Frank Drebin. Although originally they wanted to call the movie Police Squad, it was determined that the name too closely resembled another popular funny cop movie named Police Academy. I will say that for when I, when I first heard of Police Squad, the show, I immediately thought, wait, do they mean Police Academy? Mm. Because I, that's such a, mm-hmm. such a bigger thing that I knew about. Yeah. yeah. Much bigger than it needed to be, considering we did not need like seven. <laughs> and I'm saying this as someone who has a child... Loved the Police Academy movies, at least like the first maybe three. Seven did not need to exist. Oh, but for for listeners of a, of a certain age, there is a rumor around Hollywood. Steve Gutenberg was like just the guy in the eighties. The guys wanted to be friends with him. The girls all wanted to date him. Apparently, he and Liam Neeson and Milton Berle all have something in common. And someone's eyebrows just shot up while everybody else is sitting there, all confused. Oh. Hung like a walrus is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, 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 not all the bonus facts are really intellectual, but I have, this, I have the facts. It's just sitting with us. Like, yeah, we're just, just thinking about it. I don't remember that part of the movie. <laughs> well, it's handy if you can be in your own porn parody. That way it's like uh-huh. vertical integration. Yeah. You can definitely keep uh, more intellectual property rights that there way. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. 
Naked Gun was chosen out of 20 names because it, they said it promised so much more than it could possibly deliver. <laughs> so here's a summary of the film, in case anyone has not seen it. After the attempted murder of his fellow officer, Lieutenant Frank Drebin must find out who was behind this atrocity. While trying to uncover who the attackers are, he becomes suspicious of a well-known businessman, Vincent Ludwig. Ludwig, who is revealed to be a criminal mastermind, is planning to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II while she is set to visit Los Angeles, California. I never understood why did they did they say <laughs> why like, he just no. wanted to just assassinate like, the queen? What was the point no. of it? It's Next, totally... you're going to tell me you examine the motives of the Bond villains. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, it's probably on purpose that they didn't say anything, but yeah. I was just like, what is that going to accomplish? Is it going to like help you? Are you going to get more lionfish in your office? Like, <laughs> It's amusing that he wanted to kill Queen Elizabeth II because in 2005, Leslie Nielsen performed in front of 13,000 people at the Saskatchewan Centennial Gala in Canada with Queen Elizabeth in attendance. Oh, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Neat. I wonder. I wonder if he'd left his uh, left his mic on then too. <laughs> one, of, oh one of the classic bits in the movie where uh, he he has he has a lavalier mic on and he goes to the bathroom to take an extended and enthusiastic <laughs> emptying of the bladder. Yes. I mean, when I have to wear a lavalier and if I have to go to the laser, I'm like, I unplug it. I turn <laughs> yeah. it off. I yeah. leave. I'm just like. Oh yeah. Cover them. I still cover the mic, even though it's disconnected from the yeah. power pack. I'm just it's not not risking it. Yeah, it's one of my greatest fears, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the movie, while written by the Zaz team, was only directed by David Zucker. When asked about Nielsen's acting, he said that there was no improvising on set. He, Nielsen, knew where the joke was and knew better than to mess with the style. Try to wink or be funny. He absolutely trusted me and never tried to gild the lily. We purposely used straight actors in all roles, and the humor came from behind the camera. Nice. Yeah, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but we are talking about a trio of Jewish comedy writers. So <laughs> let them do their job. Sp- here's There's spoil- spoilers. Uh, Sorry, guys. Spoilers. But this is one of the three movies from 1988 that featured a steamroller running over the villain. So three movies came out that year where that happened. <laughs> The others were Who Framed Roger Rabbit and A Fish Called Wanda. When Nielsen passed away in 2010 at 84, the Naked Gun theme song was played at his funeral where he was laid to rest in Fort Lauderdale. That would be so much better than Taps. Yep, and his uh, Leslie Nielsen's headstone reads, Let her rip. <laughs> and yes, it's a fart joke. Uh, other famous funny people who got the last word include Jack Lemon, whose marker merely says Jack Lemon in, you know, right above his grave. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield, who says there goes the neighborhood. And uh, famous Irish comedian Spike Milligan, I told you I was sick. Oh. <laughs> that I one, that. that one's a little sad. <laughs> Well, in fairness, you have to be able to read Irish Gaelic to know what it says, so uh, you wouldn't get unnecessarily uh, bummed out if you were just walking past it. Aha, uh-huh, good. <laughs> so the film starred Leslie Nielsen as Frank Drebin, Priscilla Presley as Jane Spencer, O.J. Simpson as Norberg, and actually the woman who played his wife in this movie, Susan Bobian, would go on to star in the first installment of FX's series, American Crime Story from 2016 entitled The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Ooh, coincident? Yeah. I-, I think so, yes. Most likely. Probably, yeah. yes. <laughs> George Kennedy played Captain Ed Hawken. Ricardo Montalban played Vincent Ludwig. And he was chosen for the role specifically because of how well he did as the villain in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Also from 1982. Yeah. Mm-hmm. movie has a lot of 1982 in it. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy March played the mayor, and Jeanette Charles played Queen Elizabeth II. She actually had been impersonator of the queen since 1971. I was going to say, because she... Because damn. Yeah, she was like... (laughs) On point. Yeah, looking (laughs) perfect for that role. And you want to talk about job security. You want to impersonate somebody who never goes out of style and is apparently (laughs) going to live forever. I mean, absolutely. Weird Al Yankovic played himself which I love. Mm. Yes. 
When the Zaz team found out that Weird Al was obsessed with Police Squad, they wrote a special scene just for him. While the movie was in theaters, Al would bring dates to, with him to see, to see the movie without revealing that he was in it. They would promptly freak out. <laughs> That's I mean, so good. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, Weird Al was actually in uh, all three of the Naked Gun movies. He was himself in the first and third one, and in the second movie, he was Police Station Thug. Uh, And he had another connection with Leslie Nielsen later on down the road when he sang the title song for the uh, spy movie parody, Spy Hard. Yes. Uh I love the beginning of that one. (laughs) Nice. I remember when we first started talking about The Naked Gun, Marcy had not seen it. Yeah. And she kept saying, oh, I think I know that one. It's the one with Weird Al. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. Then you do know the movie. (laughs) And then it turned out she was talking about Spy Hard the whole time oh, because yes. he's also <laughs> at the beginning of Spy Hard. Has everyone seen UHF? Yes. Yes. Uh, it is It is Weird Al's movie where he inherits this little UHF station, which for those of us who uh, are a little bit older, that was the other dial on the TV where the like less good stations where all the networks were on <laughs> all the networks were on one dial the VHF dial and the local local access shows and stuff were on the UHF and he puts this wacky network together and then the big affiliate from uh the major network is trying to shut them down it's it's beautiful it's dumb it is full of little short music video parodies and stuff you'll be like wait now i've seen references to this in other places so absolutely gentle listener if you haven't seen it go watch uhf <laughs> right now so before we get on to the last movie we want to quickly mention one more production by the zazz team although their style of comedy is considered groundbreaking the team did not continue making movies long after airplane which is a bummer yeah. because they obviously knew what they were doing Top Secret was written and directed by the same Zaz team behind Airplane, but the trio went their separate ways after this movie. It was a spoof of World War II spy movies and the Elvis films of the 1950s and 60s. Already sounds fabulous. (laughs) Elvis movies were referenced in the animated film Coco and spoofed by the 1960s musical Bye Bye Birdie. Wonderful. You should watch that as well. I should. I feel like I'm missing out on some stuff here. (laughs) The film stars Val Kilmer, a rock star that falls in love with a woman while performing in Germany and unwittingly becomes part of a French resistance. (laughs) And Val Kilmer actually performed the, the songs that you're hearing him do in the movie, and they were featured on the soundtrack uh, but l- the credits for it is listed as Nick Rivers. Oh. oh. I love it when they do stuff like that. Yeah. That's great. Although it made over $20 million, twice its budget, the film was considered a flop, and it is a much lesser known film in comparison to Airplane and The Naked Gun. Roger Ebert said that the movie was vastly underrated. Yeah, it is a really good screwball comedy spoof movie there are some some gags in there that should be classic except nobody uh saw the movie there's one bit i like particularly because i love yiddish which is the language of um jews of eastern europe kind of a unifying language that many people spoke and there is a scene in a restaurant where uh hillary the the girlfriend character places an order with the waiter in what we're expected to assume is german it's actually yiddish and what she's saying is basically Go smash your head in. <laughs> and the waiter's line translates to a Yiddish curse. Uh, you'll have to bleep me. Sorry if we're not working blue. Go shit in the ocean. <laughs> I Which, like that a lot. Yeah. And and little things like that just sound better in Yiddish. Yiddish is a beautiful language for expressing any emotion, whether it's <laughs> pride or disappointment. Ashanda it is. You know, oh, I love Yiddish so much. All right, so the last movie that we're really talking about is Hot Shots from 1991. Hot Shots was the first solo director role for Jim Abrahams. It was co-written by Pat Proft, who also penned the screenplay for Police Academy. 
and apparently the Star Wars Christmas special as well. (laughs) Oh, boy. The greatest villain who ever lived. (laughs) (laughs) It's a credit I think he'd like to stay buried far in his IMDb page. So we have to bring it up to the top here. So. Hot Shots was able to take advantage of the now well-established genre of the movie parody. And according to Den of Geek, the Hot Shots movies were the last great spoofs. Screwball comedies and the, the zanier spoofs that came after Hot Shots, because even Hot Shots Part Two was kind of the genre on its way out. But things like, like mm-hmm. Spy Hard and, and subsequent things just didn't. Eh, there's been the occasional <laughs> blip, but it, it seems like, unfortunately, the era for that kind of film ended and I haven't come up with a sufficient answer as to why. But Hot Shots won gold medal all around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for those who ha- have not seen it, the story follows Topper Harley, a former <laughs> pilot who left the Air Force because he couldn't handle the pressure of living in his father's shadow. But the U.S. brings him back for one last mission, to, a dis- to destroy Iraqi nuclear facilities. Among these challenges, he must also face a rival pilot played by Carrie Elwes. <laughs> I hell yeah. I usually don't pay attention to the beginning credits, so I miss some actor names when the movie's like <laughs> starting. And then I saw him in the uh, in the room with all the soldiers, and I was like, <gasps> "This movie's gonna be even better than it already was." And that was it, our. Me and my best friend, when we saw it in the theater, that was our reaction as well. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> I had no idea who was in it, but oh, God. Oh, perfect. So good. Makes it better. The movie was filmed during the Gulf War, which reportedly made the cast and crew a little uneasy. Charlie Sheen reportedly said it was strange to be wearing wardrobe that resembled what, what he was seeing on the covers of newspapers. Mm-hmm. When taking a look at the cover, it is overt that this movie is, of course, a parody of Top Gun. Yeah. While movies like Top Gun are allowed to use actual ships for filming, Hot Shots had to be inventive in order to make it look like they were on a ship. An example of this is that they used a parking lot on a piece of land over a body of low water located in an old marine park in Palos Verdes, California. That is so clever and such a great idea, especially when they made a joke about it, where the one jet was pulling into a handicap spot. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to go back and watch it to see if I can pick out which shots those are, because now, granted, I haven't actually seen the film in a long, long time. I mm. somehow committed it to memory the first time I watched it. But I don't remember seeing anything that, was like, that struck me as, that's not a boat. So good on them. Yeah, yeah they, they did, did a really good job, they honestly. They really did. Because I was looking for it, too, <laughs> when we rewatched it. The cinematographer shot the boat at an angle to make it appear as if it were sitting on the water. Another example of it, this is that there were many aircraft scenes taken and used from the 1991 movie Flight of the Intruder. Nice. Yeah. I guess this movie used scenes from other movies in a couple of different places because they also oh. used footage from Rocky II oh. <laughs> during the boxing scene. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And why shoot new stuff when there's already stuff you can use? Exactly. Exactly. And it makes it funnier. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to parody it anyway, then just go the whole nine yards. I mean, even Spielberg's done it. What could go wrong? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great way to justify you know it. That's what I would yeah. say. The character of Admiral Benson was originally offered to the one and only Leslie Nielsen, but he reportedly told Abrahams that I think I've done enough spoof movies with you. (laughs) The role was then given to Lloyd Bridges, who had starred alongside Nielsen in Airplane. (laughs) You know, thinking about it, it's like, oh, bummer, he didn't take the part, but then I can't. I can't knock on Lloyd Bridges for yeah. him for what he did because yeah. it was still so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if you remember, Lloyd Bridges was the man who picked the wrong week to quit smoking. That's yeah, right. airplane. <laughs> and and those lines uh, still get used a lot. Speaking of how often airplane gets quoted, I yeah regularly see people like post on Facebook. I I picked the wrong week to quit methamphetamines or something. Like that. <laughs> I, I know I know I use them. Uh. Oh. The, the phrase the phrase is not the meth- methamphetamines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, oh the film also parodies Dances with Wolves, which Abraham saw while they were shooting. He came back to set and scrapped another prologue scene 
for one was Sheen living with Native Americans under the name Fluffy Bunny Feet. (laughs) In the credits, the laughs continue as Abrahams includes an unfinished brownie recipe and also suggestions on what to do after the movie. These suggestions are a nod to when the Zazz team wrote for the Kentucky Fried movie, which also had suggestions on what to do after that movie. Shoot. I did not... I think they should keep doing things yes. like this. And yeah. I want to make all of the recipes that are in there. Yeah. And, you know, now would be the time to do it because the Marvel movies have programmed people to sit through the credits. Yes. Ah, that's that's right. true. This movie starred Valeria Golino as Ramada Thompson... And then also in the little parts, Scarlett O'Hara and Lois Lane. Charlie Sheen as Topper Harley. And then in the smaller parts, Superman and Rhett Butler. Um, Lloyd Bridges as Admiral Thomas Tug Benson. Carrie Elwes as Lieutenant Kent Gregory. John Cryer as Jim Washout Pfaffenbach. Ryan Stiles as Mailman Farnham. And... <laughs> Pat Proft as Lawrence Lips, and he also helped write the screenplay as well. I didn't realize it was Ryan Stiles at the beginning. Yeah, his like whole face is covered. Yeah, and then when they he did like the retelling of what happens later in the movie, and he takes his mask off, he's like, "What? What do you got a stoplight back there? Hurry up!" And he's like walking on the back of the plane. Oh man, it's just so over the top, but it's just so good. Yeah. Which, talking of Ryan Stiles, he, Charlie Sheen, and John Cryer would all be part of the CBS show Two and a Half Men that's, in 2003. That's right. I, I I was like, oh, this is a precursor to that show because, you know, they, they all work together. And I, I really liked the Dead Meat character, too. He was one of my favorites. Oh, especially yes. That scene, yeah. the scene where his girlfriend, or sorry, his wife, is saying goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I couldn't handle it. It was so funny. <laughs> we just closed, we just closed on our dream home, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the kids are scraping the asbestos right now. <laughs> Am I investigation into the assassination of JFK? You found the evidence you were looking for. Yes, I have proof. It's right here in my pocket. It's big, honey, really big. It goes all the way to the White House. Do you want me to hold it for you? No, oh, it'll be safe right here. I'm in a jet. What could go wrong? Uh, and the most annoying part for me, because I easily get frustrated by things like this, the most annoying part is that he totally survives, you know, spoilers, his plane crashes, but he just, like, gets up and mm, dusts off like, oh, that was nothing. And then the ambulance that was supposed to take him runs him over. And I'm like, oh, God, son of a... A reviewer named Widget Walls said... Well, it's not airplane, but precious little is. Yeah. <laughs> you can't expect it to be airplane. No, no. But it's still it's super good. Really nice backhanded compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Pretty much. <laughs> On the set of Hot Shots, Jim Abrahams told Entertainment Weekly about his former collaborators. I'm genuinely proud that we managed to go 20 years together, and there were never any blowouts or drug rehabilitations. I count them among my best friends. Aww. Nice. The writers, director, and cast all returned for Hot Shots Part 2. While researching the movies, it became very clear that many people prefer the second film. Which, maybe we should include it if we ever do a sequel to our sequels episode. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the end of like the basic full movies that we we're going to talk about. But we we're going to talk a little bit about the genre in general and what happened to it, maybe. And, you know, so is it still popular to spoof these to do spoof movies? Uh, yeah, kind of. But so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the ones that have come out recently and uh, whether or not, you know, maybe if there's some sort of if it's out state, it's welcome if people you know, if people go to the theater and they see a trailer for another spoof, they just kind of roll their eyes. Or mm-hmm. movies as they were on their way out, I guess. Right as we mentioned before, Moxie mentioned Spy Hard. <sighs> Spy Hard, which also starred Leslie Nielsen, was written in part by Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer. Since then, they have done more parody movies. So, do do you guys remember Spy Hard? Did you enjoy it? It it did about as well as any movie Dana Carvey did after leaving Saturday Night Live to give, to give you an indication of both the quality and the success of it. I definitely think the most memorable part is 
Weird Al in the beginning doing the song. Yeah. I don't honestly remember too much after that. Um, I do remember watching it, though. Uh, Moxie, are you are you telling me that you don't love Master of Disguise? Yes, I'm afraid I am. Oh, no. I'm right there with you, Moxie. Oh. <laughs> Off the podcast, I am leaving. Adam, Adam, for some reason, really likes it. Look, I think it's got some good parts. That's all I'm going to say about it. The bar was just set too high because my prime SNL watching timeline was during the Dana Carvey, Mike Myers, Phil Hartman, Chris Farley era, like the the second the second golden age of SNL. So. They have a very narrow <laughs> window of success to shoot for outside of SNL. So, like, Wayne's World 1, absolutely. Wayne's World 2, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first Austin Powers, great. Everything else, straight downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen some great stand-up specials from Dana Carvey because he's genuinely a very good comedian. Mm-hmm. But just none of the movies were that good. <sighs> <laughs> I guess I'm I'll accept sorry. it. <laughs> I feel you. I understand. So, also, uh, there were some other ones that we wanted to mention. Date movie, epic movie, Meet the Spartans, Disaster movie, and Vampire Suck. Those are also all parody movies that seemed to not do very well. They made their money back, but they were not in any, by any means, box office hits are very successful. And I think that sometimes people see movies like this and think that they might be tarnishing the genre a little bit more. Playing it so straight back in these older movies and, and it almost not you know it could almost be mistaken for not being a parody because of how serious it kind of comes off at least mm-hmm. initially and then you start noticing the little mm-hmm. um the yeah. little jokes within whereas these other ones i don't know they seem to be advertised in right. a way where it's like ha come see this funny thing and it was like that's yeah. you're doing it wrong I don't know if that had much to do with it, but that's kind of how I felt about a lot of these, especially epic movie. I've never met anyone who has come up to me and said, I love date movie. What a great piece of yeah. cinema. <laughs> I thought it was a defined comedy. You know what I mean? And I know no, yeah. nobody expects that from the movie, but I've never met anybody who really actually thoroughly enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. Or it's, is like, oh, let's watch a movie. How about date movie? Yeah, I've never <laughs> gone to a party or something and someone says, oh, let's put this on because it's so funny. I think I blame, like, Scary Movie 2 probably for mm-hmm. the decline mm-hmm. in parody movies because these, these I think, are more on the parody side than on the screwball mm-hmm. side. Yeah. And, and they're really just, I don't know, they just fail they just yeah. don't do all that well and then you see a trailer for another one like vampire suck or date movie or whatever you're like oh it's another one of these stupid movies mm-hmm. where right. you know where if they can't come up with anything clever so they default to uh gross out humor and i'm not above gross out humor in any stretch <laughs> yeah but there has to be humor at the core of it yeah. just being being gross for being gross sake or or shocking for shocking sake that's how we ended up with with like Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony and mm-hmm. you know and those guys yeah. who for most people the appeal of that wears out pretty quickly and I think that's what happened here I think that maybe we just didn't have the quality comedy writing that we had with the Zaz crew yeah yeah it's a good point it could come down to that yeah there were a couple other sets of movies we wanted to mention really quick too that seemed to be okay you know that especially in the beginning you know the Wyans family has I mean, they're they're just a yeah. dynasty of comedy, you know. <laughs> there's just there's so much great comedic things coming out of the Wyans family, and so you know, ever since Keenan Wyans created In Living Color, which starred other members of the family, the Wyans have made a lasting mark in parody. And two of their most successful spoofs are "Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood," and "I'm Gonna Get You Sucka." Suck. <laughs> <laughs> In these films lampooned a series of black coming-of-age films that take place in The Hood, such as Boys in the Hood, South Central, and Menace to Society. And I've seen these, and they came out a little bit later, but they were these were kind of screwy. These were kind of like airplane screwball uh, movies with a parody thrown in. There are a lot of silly things yeah. sprinkled <laughs> in these movies. But as time has gone on, the Scary Movie franchise is probably their most prominent collection of movies, and, you know, they've also produced Dance Flick, 
A Haunted House, Fifty Shades of Black, which I feel like as time has gone on has been a little more the way of date movie, epic movie. Do you think the problem might be relying too heavily on the parody side of it? Like, we're pretending to be this movie, but it's funny. Rather than, like, we're kind of doing our own original thing, but it also has, like, hints of parodying another movie, you know? Like, they're trying to coast on the very fact that they're a parody? Yeah, exactly. Like, we should be laughing, we should be laughing just because it's a parody. So, yeah. almost in the kind of the way the Big Bang Theory just references comedy, references mm-hmm. things, rather right. than actually having jokes. It's like, oh, remember that movie that you have seen, mm-hmm. and then this, oh, oh, we're switching it up this time. Right. Yeah, it's funny, right? It's like, mm, not really, whereas something like Airplane, sure, it's technically a parody of Zero Hour, yeah. but you can see it on its own, right? Right. It mm-hmm. feels like its own story because the the differences, and then, and then the jokes are nicely placed in, relying too heavily on parody. It, like it's you said dangerous. before, it out. I think it outstays its welcome a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think maybe a short form yeah. parody might do yeah. better if you do like a little skit. That's why maybe SNL could well, do better. Well, that's what with Kentucky this. Fried Kentucky Fried Movie was. It was yeah. an anthology yeah. of of shorter sketch sketches. And you touch you you brushed up against an interesting point. How Airplane stands alone. You don't need to have seen uh, Zero Hour, which before our research I had never heard of i thought it was a parody of, of uh, airport ah. um, which a lot yeah, of people I, do actually i, I just assumed that. yeah just yeah. assumed uh i when i did burlesque i did nerdlesque pretty self-explanatory there <laughs> uh, and so the sweet spot in a nerdlesque routine was to have things in the routine that would be thrilling to the hardcore fan but not necessary for the person on the street to understand or even notice for them to be able to enjoy the routine Mm because if you're going if you're playing just to the hardcore fans as i learned very painfully once the three people who understood what i was doing in my last unicorn routine had a ball the other 179 people Mm. in the room were Mm -hmm. just kind of wondering when it was going to be over Uh, so so you have to make something that while being a parody can also stand on its own as an independent comedy and i think maybe that's where things started to go wrong where they are relying as you said too much on the fact that it's a parody to try to coast along on that whereas without having the foundation of of knowledge of the original thing the movie's not funny whereas with airplane Mm -hmm. you didn't need to have seen whatever movie it was that it was based on (laughs) for it to be genuinely funny so i think maybe that's where they they dropped the ball yeah, and that really brings in expiration dates as well. Like, uh, who knows years and years from now if people will have seen Twilight and mm-hmm. will, I mean, why would you go back to a parody film of Twilight right. when it's mm-hmm. literally just making fun of Twilight? Right, but in like, you know, but in 40 years or so, somebody might watch Twilight on TV as like a B movie and think, yeah, this is unintentionally hilarious. Hey, let's make a parody movie about Twilight. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, we'll keep lines in that are actually lines and then do lots of screwball stuff in the background, you know, just yes. like they did with Airplane. Just like Airplane. And, then, and leave in the terrible, scary <laughs> CGI baby. <Yeah. laughs> so if we were thinking, if they wanted to do a movie like this today, movies like Airplane, Hot, Hot Shots, and The Naked Gun... Would there be, is there anyone today who could be a new Leslie Nielsen? Oh, I mean, you've got notable people in comedy still. Yeah. You know, like a Will Ferrell or somebody like that. Because Will Ferrell has done parody films that yeah. are not necessarily screwy like these. You mm-hmm. know, they're kind of, it, Blades of Glory is pretty, I mean, that's pretty silly. Yeah. It's a yeah. silly movie and he's in it and, you know, he... He attempts to play, I mean, he plays the character pretty straight. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, and he, you know, Eurovision just came out and, and that movie is definitely different than a lot of other things that have come out recently, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he's pretty straight in that one as well. Yeah. But he also has um, some dramatic chops. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he could maybe play this off, you know, like the way Leslie Nielsen uh, in Airplane was sort of dead deadpanning it mm-hmm. and playing it very, very serious. Maybe we need to look outside of the people we think of as comedic actors because, Ooh, you know, Airplane yeah. was Nielsen's first comedy. Maybe we need to give, uh, 
I don't know, Liam Neeson a shot. See what Ooh. he can do with it. Yeah. You know? That's a good yeah. point. That's a very good point. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you know who I bet would be amazing because he's amazing in everything. Who? Oh. Gary Oldman. <laughs> that would be Gary great. Oldman. Yeah. Yeah. I could see him doing that. <laughs> and it would also cause a certain amount of cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. I think in people's brains, just <laughs> just not quite knowing how to interpret <laughs> Gary yeah. Oldman in a screwball comedy yeah. or a parody movie. It, exactly. It, you got to strike a fine balance with something like that. Yeah. Oh, John Tutoro. That would be another really good one. I'm just mm. thinking of those actors mm. who throw themselves so far into their characters mm-hmm. right. without without go, without going full method like Daniel Day Lewis because yeah. that that's just crazy. <laughs> like he, he is all he has literally almost killed himself just preparing for roles. Oh my goodness. Like yeah. from from my left foot, he refused to walk on his own. He would only, you oh know, gosh. be in the wheelchair. And I think he got pressure sores and and oh, oh it's just just ridiculous level of stuff. And like, yeah. yes, you're very you're very good and everything, but you're also crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me of Keanu Reeves. I mean, he's done Bill and Ted's, which is very funny. But then he's also more recently done more serious films like if it a was lot, it was so. a, yeah it's like him being being like he is in john wick yes but but, <laughs> but it's a parody with, film yes but yeah. not a parody of john wick no don't don't misunderstand yes, me please do not <laughs> well, i don't i don't, I don't think we that need that well. yeah. you just have nerf guns instead <laughs> there's your parody yes well, I mean, that would sell because he's the internet's boyfriend right now. So if they're going to do that, they better get on it right before the internet loses interest. <laughs> they should be listening to us right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Somebody write that down. Write it down. So we've, we, we've talked about where the screwball comedies and the parodies were in their golden age and then where they were in the recent past and a little bit about where they're going to go in the future. Uh, someone in the industry actually had a, a good take on this for us. Uh, Judge Apatow, who is the director, of course, and writer of the 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up and other R-rated comedies. He helped to restart the R-rated comedy genre because studios don't want to make R-rated movies. They want to make sure they can sell tickets to as many people as possible. But he's still aware of, though his comedies have done well, how comedy in general has really fallen uh, in Hollywood, which he attributes to the major studios being, quote, not smart enough and funny enough to make the kind of comedies that were once runaway successes like Airplane. Uh, In Apatow's words, after the last writer's strike, it felt like the studios decided not to develop movies. They used to buy a lot of scripts, they had a big team of people giving notes, and they worked for years with people in collaboration on those scripts. I feel like the studios don't buy as many scripts now. It used to be that you'd open up Variety and you'd see a movie studio had just bought a big high-concept comedy. Now it seems like they'd rather buy things in a package. Script, cast, director. As a result, a lot of great comedy writers are going over to television instead of sitting at home trying to write a script for a film, right the way I was. So it seems like the executive level of Hollywood, shockingly, (laughs) is what has ruined it for the common man. Oh no! Who could ever say. have foreseen that? <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. And oh. and we we talk about this all the time. We're we're always bummed just thinking about how many golden scripts are probably yeah. in a drawer somewhere. Yeah, we talk every time there's a movie made that, you know, we we're like, why? Because we think there's probably other ones that, mm-hmm. you know, that maybe could have been really good that yeah, are just like, sitting somewhere. Speaking yeah. of Keanu Reeves, The Matrix coming back, like. Uh, yeah. They ended it. <laughs> Why is it coming back? <laughs> I think we should go back. We should we need to go back to the place where the second movie has to do well before you get to make a third one. Yeah. Because for the for the last 20 years it's been if the first one did well, the studio goes ahead and buys the sequels and you go ahead and just make them in a row. Mm-hmm. Whereas like back in the 80s you made one, it did well, maybe you got a sequel. And if, if the sequel did well, you got a third one in the case of like Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, or like if Ghostbusters 2, it was middling, then you don't get a third one. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so Moxie, do you enjoy Nielsen comedies and, and why? Yeah. So I grew up with Leslie Nielsen as a comedic actor. And I can totally understand why he told uh, Zucker, I can't do any more parodies with you because he never was able to leave that behind. He never returned to dramatic acting at it because I think the public wouldn't have 
accepted him. They would have been uh, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like like when Robin Williams, you know, bless his cotton socks, would try to do dramas and it usually didn't work out all that well because yeah. mm-hmm. people just weren't open to to seeing him uh, in that role. Leaving aside the classics, I might have to say that my personal favorite Leslie Nielsen movie uh, would be not a screwball, but definitely a spoof, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh. I love the title to that movie. <laughs> Dracula Dead and Loving It. Yeah. But, which which had, had half the cast of Wings in it for some reason. Looking at the other part of the movie, you had Leslie Nielsen as, as Dracula, a la the Francis Ford Coppola version. But you also had grossly underrated uh, character actor Peter McNichol as Renfield. And he he was I was my me and some girlfriends saw it in the theater. There's nobody there because the movie was in and out in like a week. I was falling over the seat in front of me laughing every time I <laughs> was on screen. And even though there was only two other people aside from our group, my girlfriends were like, can you just stop? <laughs> you're, at a, you're at a nine. We need you at a four. Because yeah. <laughs> he's just criminally criminally underrated and in fact i do um i did i keep forgetting i retired um i did a um renfield burlesque routine that i patterned very heavily on that particular film and like i i have a poster of of the movie so i've got a poster of leslie nielsen oh. in dracula dead and loving oh, it that's, that's the, first, the first prop in that routine that's so cool so airplane did so well and we all love it but do you think another movie like airplane will ever be made so popular and critically acclaimed and possibly get on like library of congress's national film registry kind of level i don't want to say never because like that's, that's so true. negative that yeah. is very negative. and I, I feel like things change all the time and you know maybe the way it is currently i don't think it's likely yeah I but think some things it, need to change yeah all that you know she, you know moxie was talking about judd apatow and and his kind of his take on it and listening to that and makes you really feel like it, things might have to change a little bit in order for something like that to happen mm-hmm. i think if someone went back to the basics just went went back to the very core of of comedy writing mm-hmm. and didn't worry about trends, didn't worry about executives. You would need essentially a Ryan Reynolds for this movie yeah, to do yeah. what he did for Deadpool, yeah. where he championed it. He got control of it early on. He made sure that it happened correctly. Mm-hmm. That's what you would need. You would need someone with the chops to want to see this through, you know, art for art's sake, to really want this movie to be made properly to make it properly, not to make money. Yeah. Because if you yeah. make it properly, it will make money. And don't, like, screw up the marketing. Because there, there are so many <laughs> movies that are really good, but nobody sees them because the yeah. studios market them incorrectly or don't know how to market them. Like, mm-hmm. one of my favorites, um, uh, the 1999 Robert Carlyle cannibal movie, Ravenous, oh. is a fabulous, quirky black comedy. And the... The studios, if you watch the trailers, well, Frank, watch the movie first and then watch the trailers. Because if you watch the trailers, you're never going to want to watch the movie. Yeah. Because yeah, we... they didn't know what it was or how to market it. Yeah. So, so if somebody makes this correctly for the passion of it, I think it would do well. But it, other, that's so unlikely to happen. It would just be studio being like, put these jokes and references mm-hmm. in. Oh, and by the way, uh, we have product placement obligations with three, these three brands. Oh, yeah. So make, mm-hmm. make sure that the characters talk about their Toyota right. Yaris mm-hmm. for 30 seconds. And, and, you know, just to bring it back to the, the best one, I guess, the marketing for Airplane, <laughs> the, the trailer alone is just as funny as the rest of the movie, you know? It's like... Airplane is danger. Airplane <laughs> is music. Like what? Like just all these weird things that they they put in there, and it's, ugh. I think see they they nailed it in that case. They're not trying to say like, hey, just so you know, we're a parody. It's like no, it's its own thing, and it's right. funny. And I think with that, that's another case closed. So we really want to thank Moxie for coming on our show today. We, we like her show. Go check it out. Your brain on facts. Moxie, do you want to say anything about it? 
Well, yeah, Your Brain on Facts is your weekly half hour of things you never knew you never knew. So after you have finished the entire back catalog of this show, you can use the same app to search for Your Brain on Facts or go to yourbrainonfacts.com. If you want to get cool information but uh, not in an audio medium, you can also pick up the Your Brain on Facts book available at... Booksellers everywhere. Do check with your local bookseller first, if possible, from a safe distance because they need your love now more than ever. All oh, right. Nice. Right. Yes. So check her out. She has a great episode on advertising, actually, that I thought was pretty funny, talking oh, about just... all this marketing. It was yes. pretty bad the, ways the to advertising advertise. fails episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe I, so. I think that's part of my We Can't Have Nice Things series. Yeah. Yes, it was actually. Yes. And then you also do a little thing with uh, Savannah, who's a seven-year-old girl. Okay, I tried. Oh, Oh, you tried? Okay. I I tried. I tried to do a science uh, podcast and YouTube channel with my niece, Science with Savannah, age seven. But that was biting off a lot to do all oneself. Uh, Yes. Uh, I I, understand. Yeah, Research and write and then film and record and edit and the sound was bad on some of it and also uh kids are busy these days (laughs) and she lives two counties away so it was hard to get her over here and then when i could get her over here i forgot how difficult it is keeping myself on track with my add let alone having to manage a child with add yes yes so yeah two and a half episodes in that one pod faded. Uh, I tried. I did my best. But, well, the you know. one that I listened to of it was adorable. It was about dogs, oh, and it was so cute. Yep. <laughs> but, but she's eight now, so it feels disingenuous to continue the show, even if there wasn't a global pandemic. Oh, I still couldn't get her over here. All right. Well, if you want to check us out, you can just go to our website, blackcasediaries.com. From there, you can find our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a Patreon. Go check us out there. And yeah, lots of cool extra goodies yeah, there extra if you can't get goodies. enough. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. See here, please disperse. Nothing to see here, please.